What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and welcome to episode 1.5 of Behind the Daw, where we usually interview artists and music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic level. But as you notice, this is a 0.5 episode. And on these episodes, we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time, and we put it in a podcast form, so you can partake of it and listen to it on the go, and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge. And the best part of all of this is that it's free forever no matter what our only request is that if you enjoy this podcast and it's really helping you along your musical journey go ahead and share it with someone that you feel would benefit from it and that's it if you have any questions comments concerns or you just want to talk you can contact me at wyatt at behind the all right Don nation let's get into it Start off by asking Tribector, basically, how, how does he get out of the loop? Taking that initial full bar idea and expanding that idea into a full arrangement. One of the things in the maybe the last year or so that I really tried to make sure I do is kind of structure out the idea uh, as far as I can uh, early on. So, so in other words, I try to make sure I have it blocked out structurally early. And it's hard to do that because uh, you hear these like construction zones, these, these really rough sections where it's like, oh man. Uh, and whenever you listen to it, you hear that and it, it kind of sucks your soul away. But if you do it enough times, you start to trust that you can retain your vision and you start to know, okay, okay, okay. In this part here, I'm going to be able to turn this into something good. In this part, I'm going to. And, you know, as long as you can get it kind of structured out and you keep taking notes and taking breaks, you can make sure that you uh, see it all the way through. So that's kind of what I did here is made sure I had it sectioned out before I went too far in any of the parts. When you mention notes, do you actually take physical notes or is it kind of more like mental notes? I would pull, uh, I've got my phone, my computer angled resting on this book right now. Otherwise, I'd pull it out and show you it pages and pages and pages for each song. That's awesome. So it's yeah, a normal yeah. notes app that you open up and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have my physical notes book right here and I have my phone notes app here. And, and I'll just, this is more for if I'm out and, you know, and I'm listening, so, man, it gets so far. It gets so, you know, document just gets, you know, gotcha. That's awesome. How many, how many tracks is there? Like nearly 200 by the looks of things. Is that uh, right now it's down to, it's down to 185, but it probably, there've probably been, 300 something over over the time over the course of it but a lot of times i'll do i'll bust things together and sort of uh, record the input to that bus so that i just have one track and uh, it helps me and then I did the consolidate session for this uh, for the video today so it's probably it's good to have it lower i feel like the lower you can have it at the end the easier it gets to you know to mix things down Definitely. So how do you, do you have like a structured approach to organizing? Because I find personally, I tend to do almost every project completely different. Like sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll group, sometimes I'll group in a different way. Sometimes I won't group at all. Other times I use return tracks. So is, is this like a standard structure you use having like bases together, chords together and so on? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's another great question. Yeah, this is pretty much how I usually do it. Uh, and I keep these colors pretty consistent. So, so uh, I feel like the less thinking you have to do usually, uh, the more you can sort of save your brain to think about the really important things. Uh, so uh, these colors are pretty much standard. I, I have effects down at the bottom. Chords, sometimes I split up chords and leads, uh, but other times I think in this song, I just put the chords and leads all under chords. Uh, vocals, what's interesting is I always do this up here, the bouncers, which is basically uh, where I'll keep a lot of the MIDI and stuff like that. And uh, bouncers, usually tracks will start up in bouncers when I'm doing the MIDI and then I'll bounce it into audio down in the chords or the basses or, or wherever they might end up. So bouncers are usually things that are more kind of I'm still working on. And then when it's solidified, I'll pull it up, make it audio and throw it down in one of the other groups. Question concerning your, uh, your super saws because your yep. super saws are probably like the biggest and the thickest things next to Elenium or, or even, I don't know, comparative to a Lenium, to be honest, like those things are gigantic. How, what's, what's your approach to super sauce to get those so big? And you, painful. Yeah, uh, painful. Pain. Yeah. Painful and time consuming. And I'll actually show you for this one. I, it, it differs obviously for each song, uh, but it, this sort of, 
the things that always carry through is that there's always careful layers, always subtractive EQ, always kind of a couple little effects to glue them all together. Um, but the actual layers that I end up using will change for song to song. And this one was specifically difficult because for every song until now when I've done Super Saws, they have sort of bloomed out of the kick drum. Each big saw swell would have a kick to start it. And then it sort of close on a snare or go through the snare. Um, but for this one, I tried this sort of pulsing saw thing. And that presented all these weird problems because... I'm used to saw having a bottom to start with the kick drum. And now it would be like, okay, that kick drum would be there. But then when it disappeared and came back, that kind of thing was like, oh, wait, how do I make it not feel empty down low? But, but I'll show you. For that reason, I ended up having to do all sorts of rebalancing and relayering. That's another consistent. For every song, I'll always end up doing the saws and then, all right, rebound some new saws. All right, rebound some new saws. Um, they ended up going into this bus and I'll turn off the LFO so you can hear it at first. Uh, this would be your main group. I, you know what? These saws I did in a separate project, actually. I, sometimes I find it's helpful when I don't have all this stuff in one project. It's just start with a separate project and call it a little doodle project and say, okay, let me make some stuff that I can throw into the main project. And that's what I did for the saws here. And then I bounced them out to what should, hopefully this works, sound like this. But as I was going on, I figured I, I kind of needed, as I got further, a little more sort of um, character to it. So then I bounced out this guy. And then finally, this guy was later on to sort of uh, focus the ear on the main sort of pitch, the leading pitch. And then if you put them all together, you'd have this. And then you finally LFO it. It's mostly usually silence for the main layer, and then uh, a little bit of there's there's almost always a little omnisphere to give it a little sort of you know fancy fanciness, and then some nexus sometimes. What about your uh, your stereo spreading with them? Because uh, I mean, at least just looking over here, I'm not seeing anything as far as like to the left or to the right. So I mean, like, how do you how do you? How do you also painfully. Um, th uh, there was a little bit more of to the right, to the left in the initial groups here, in the initial uh, uh, before I bounced it out. But nothing too crazy because uh, a lot of times I find with saws, uh, especially if you bounce them from different sound sources like Omnisphere, Nexus, or Silent, you can hear how they fill out the stereo field differently. So uh, usually I don't find I need to do a bunch of crazy panning side to side with my saws as long as I'm using careful sources because it'll, because saws are generally, if you're using the right ones, pretty wide. It, it'll fill it all out. Then it's all about making sure your other buses. Although, I think here you can see there's a little bit of imaging here. I don't know how far I went. Usually more towards the top. Yeah, a little bit on this guy to sort of pull it out at the top. But yeah, nothing too crazy. How much are you, say, so if you have say, a core progression and you're creating the layers, do you find you're putting different notes into different layers or are you basically taking the same chord progression and having that same chord in all of all, all of your layers? If, if so, I I used to uh, I used to kind of I would have a, a good saw like a good sort of chord or something, and then I would try to fill it out by all right, well maybe it needs a little bit of this, and I change some voicings and do that, and then I change some more voicings and do that, and eventually I would end up with these really blurry kind of murky sounds where I couldn't really tell what you couldn't really tell what sound to focus on. Uh, lately, what, I, what I've what i been doing a lot more of, and, and it's helped a lot, and I definitely did it here, is I get the same voicing. I figure out, I spend a lot of time on making sure the voicing is perfect, or, or, or at least really good, and then um, I'll do it like that. Then what I'll do is I'll take that maybe voicing, and then I'll octave it up or something with a different, but generally the sort of stack is more or less the same. I'll cut out certain things, and maybe if with a certain patch that I'm layering with, the bottom note gets a little murky, and if I EQ it, even if I EQ it out, it still sounds a little weird, so I'll cut him. But what I will do differently, and, and I, I, I did that with this guy here with this one, is um, 
is I will take the sound, the, the leading tone that I want the ear to hear and focus on, and I'll balance layers just doing that. So that's usually the one that will end up being different than the remaining voicings is just uh, some layers of just the actual one note that I want your ear to focus on. Perfect, perfect. And in, and in terms of workflow, do you find you you write most of the song in MIDI first and then spend, as a separate process, the, well, I, suppose, do you, I suppose the question is, do you, do you separate the songwriting process from the sound design or do you do somewhere in between the two or, or does it vary? Uh, usually it'll start with more of the, uh, more, I try to get a good bulk of the songwriting out first and enough to push me through the song and enough to give me something so I know for the most part where I'm going on each of the main sections. And then, and I'll do, you know, good sound design for that to make that all sound at least fairly good. Then I'll go back to more MIDI and add more. And, uh, but the main bulk, I try to figure out pretty early on. Nice. With, uh, with this uh project what was some of the main like sound design tricks and, and tips that you, you would give mm-hmm. um there's a couple uh one well there uh, with the saws were a real tricky one um for this one okay here's one one that was really neat for the saws is um when you start layering a bunch of saws you end up in a situation where you need to be really careful with your highs the very top i I tell people who who i'm talking to sometimes you got to police your highs you got to be really careful about what you're allowing to get all the way up to the to the you know 15 what do you say 15k and and, and up uh, or even maybe 13k and up or so you got to be really careful up there um uh, so a lot of times i can't let all my saws go up there if i'm busting them all together sometimes i'll only let one of them go up there but here what i did which was pretty neat was um was i realized none of my layers none of them sounded really nice up top on the very top. They sounded nice, but not really nice. And there's one that sounded really nice and it was an omnisphere layer, but it kind of swelled really slowly and wasn't giving me the initial punch I was looking for. So what I did, and uh, I'm definitely going to do this more, is I bounced out a a layer of just noise from Serum. And, uh, And it's this right here. It should probably still be LFO'd right now. And it's just highs, like you can see that right there on the EQ. It's a little mids, but um, but I, I ended up sort of filtering out the very highs of my saws and replacing them with that because that high up, you're not really hearing pitch anymore. You're just kind of hearing the shh. And I figured rather than having some weird phasey saws like floating around up there, make it something nice and steady. And 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 if I cut it out, you'll hear a huge difference. If I play it without the noise up top, you'll hear like. But if I put this back. You can hear that really nice up top. Yeah, so, so in, in terms of the songwriting, I suppose the songwriting slash music theory side of things, how much of what you do is uh, thought out in terms of, I, I know the rules of music theory, I know what notes should work and then I'll follow that direction versus just sort of experimenting and letting, letting your ear guide it and just tr- tr- basically basically trust, trusting your ears. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think... I'd say most of it comes from spending so much time with music theory that it flows naturally enough that I don't need to think about it. Uh, When I start overly thinking theory, sometimes I start running into trouble. Although sometimes it works, but, um, but I'll naturally kind of fall into the music theory thought outside just because I've done it so much, which is nice. Uh, for example, that lead that year, you know, I wrote that on the guitar using what naturally, if I put on this song and start playing, I think it's in C sharp minor, I'll start playing in the key of C sharp minor. And so, you know, naturally my hand will just start going to those types of shapes and things like that. And I, and sometimes I'll think things like, all right, well, um, my bass is, is, is obviously usually hitting the root there. Uh, maybe I should make sure that this is hitting a three or a, or, or, or a five, or sometimes I'll extend. I think, I think Nick ended up with some nice suspended chords when he made his song. So I made sure to, 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 to consider those types of things. Um, so it varies, but I think for the most part, um, I'd say it's the decisions are made by having an education in music theory, but not, but consciously trying to make sure not to think about it too much, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. And and do you feel like, I suppose it may be slightly hard to answer, but do you feel, how, for, for the sort of music you're writing, how necessary do you think music theory is? So I've, I've, I've spoke to people and I've heard different different opinions as, 
uh, how how necessary you think it is. So yeah, um, I think it depends on the. I think it would depend on the type of electronic music you're making, because if you're making um, stuff that's not very melodic, you could probably get away with kind of knowing, uh, with honestly just having a real good ear, figuring out what notes sound okay in a key, you know, in a, in a real low key, like E or F minor or something like that. Uh, but in melodic music, I think it's going to be really hard to, to, to do it unless you have sort of a prodigy level ear, uh, especially because things like you have to think so much, especially with melodic music of what key the song is going to be in because with, with, with non, with music, it's not as melodic and sort of one chord on the drop. Uh, you can kind of think, okay, I just know it needs to be, and it needs to be low. And usually it ends up with E through G or something like that. Maybe it'll walk in either direction. But here it with melodic music. You got to think, okay, okay, well I'm going to be going, if I'm in the key of C sharp minor, but I'm going to be going down to, you know, I'm going to the relative major. That's going to be E. I need to make sure that my sub is going to be okay down there. And then, you know, you end up with your C sharp. You got to think about which octave you're going to put that in. And, you know, I think having a music theory background helps a lot the more melodic you're trying to go. Interesting. I like it. Yeah, I know. That's really good. So in regards to the mix on this, because yep. just so, so you said it was like originally 300 tracks yep. and it's like down to 175, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that gives me so much anxiety. I can't <laughs> talk right now. So like, how do you tackle something like that? Just like in a, on a mixing perspective, I mean, like, where do you start? How do you keep your mind straight with that many tracks, you know? Um, a lot of it comes from, I think the first thing, the obvious answer is just having done it a lot and, and, and just sort of knowing how to hear all the little things that are happening at one time um, and, and repetition. Um, because there's some things that you can't hear right off, right off the bat when you start producing music like your mids it's real hard it's real hard to hear your 500 hertz and so on and so forth and but you, the more you produce music the more you start to hear what's going on in those spots obviously and as far as having that many tracks a lot of it comes down to making sure that i'm uh, i'll tell you what honestly a lot comes down to making sure i'm grouping them and busting them properly because then i can uh, i can flip through and listen to my drop here and be like all right well this sounds okay but how do my basses sound all right, that sounds all right. What about this guy? All right, and then is this okay? And then how about these guys? You know, and, and if you can sort of break them apart and, 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 and make sure you're being disciplined about your busing and your grouping, it can help a lot with that type of thing. Were there any, any like major challenges or uh, just kind of pro yeah. like pro pro problems you ran into? Yeah. Um, and this one's, this one will be an interesting one, I think for, for your channel, cause I've seen you address a lot of really cool technical things. Um, one that I ran into a big issue I ran into is with my snare drum in this track, because uh, I found a really nice snare sample that I really liked. And, um, my problem with the snare sample was that it was, it, it, it fit the key and the tone of the song so nicely. And I had my mindset. It wasn't this big, like, you know, boof, kind of like big dubstepy snare that was going to eat up the entire mix. But, uh, it, but it sounded nice and thick and, 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 and it just kind of sit just by one. The problem was it was kind of first of all a little dark and it was flat. It sounded nice. It didn't really, uh, it wasn't very dynamic. It just sounded like a block of sound rather than a nice natural transient with the decay. Uh, what was nice about it, if you can see right here is it has a nice sort of onset. It's like a little flam kind of sound and I'll solo the snare. It sounds nice, but it didn't always sound like that. The problem was, like I said, it was really dull and flat and, and blocky. And so, so my, my initial thought, you can tell I brightened it up a little bit. It, it, there's a little exciter and a little bit of uh, EQ there. Uh, but uh, th my natural instinct was to add a little transient shaper to it, to try to make sure that the initial onset of the sound had a nice pop and then it would decay. But the problem was, if you can see here, the initial sound is a little flam before the actual beat the snare comes on. So my transient shapers were all just attacking that and making my initial little flam before the actual snare hit really loud. And my snare hit still sounded flat. So what I ended up having to do was cut it like this. I had to cut the snare and like surgically pull that guy out, put him in one track, pull this guy down into another track, like this regular snare sound, um, and bust them together and throw the transient shaper just on the actual 
this guy here on that part. So this before, in other words, the actual sample before, uh, the difference between the small size right there and the big height right there was a lot less. But doing that transient shaper allowed me to really kind of pull that guy up right there. Does that kind of make sense what I'm saying right there? That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen any, I'm sure people do do it, but I, must, I haven't seen anyone do that before. That's a... Uh... Yeah, that that was definitely a problem. Uh, that 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 was one of the major ones. And the other one, like I said before, was figuring out with the base and the, uh, or, I mean, figuring out the saws and and how they were going to pulse out of the low end because um because uh, like I said, there's no kick drum on every other saw. I think it on every other saw there's or every other sort of pulse there's no kick below it's just you know you have kick boom wah, wah, and so that second one was all about like man uh, also making sure that my mid bases fit nicely with that because my sub isn't pulsing like that my sub it just goes and at first i tried to have my my mid bases do the same kind of thing just go steady boom 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 but then it kind of took away from the effect of the pulse of the drop so then i tried making my mid bases go into the same bus as the saws but then everything kind of felt like it felt like i just this weird empty bottom with everything just sort of dancing on top of it and that didn't make me happy so i ended up coming down a sort of careful layering of the mid bases and they ended up did going they ended up going into the lfo bus but you have one here and one that's a little bigger and making sure that I had them both nice together, it kind of helped sort of alleviate that problem and, and sort of cover all the space down onto my sub bass where that was doing its own thing. I like that. Can we can we take a? Can you solo out your drum bus just really quick? And sure. This sequence is dope. <laughs> main idea i think when the lead comes in i i throw in a little a little hi-hat so it doesn't feel like i just do a lead on top but it feels like the whole song is kind of growing you want to check it out right yeah yeah i'd love to check out the sequence because that's a that's a really good yeah. so <laughs> so what i ended up having was um I was just going to well, say, it sounds like a hip-hop loop. That's so cool. Yeah, and so this right here, it's great. I ended up having to do some sort of weird sort of chopping. I don't think I had to pitch it or anything. No, it's all right. Um, but I found this loop here, and it, it sounds really nice. I'll turn off the uh, side chain because that was a problem on itself. But if I take off the uh, this guy here, you have this kind of... Which sounds nice. It, it ultimately did one of these kind of things, you know. But that little at the end, kind of, uh, I cut it out because I wanted it to feel kind of surreal, like you would just get that vocal chop in there, and then it would all come back. But what made what was difficult, what I found to be a problem, was whenever I use a loop, a drum loop, and a drop, I always do my own kick and snare. Uh, you can hear, I mean, honestly, even besides me just saying that, you can hear that the kick and snare here are kind of like they're okay, but they're too glued in. They're not going to big really hit you like like a big heavy uh, sort of melodic dubstep track is going to have to hit you. So I had a real hard time with making sure that I side-chained it properly to my kick and snare and made sure that the low end isn't eating up where my sub is sitting. But if I pull out too much low end, it started to lose its move. If I take that out, you still have the same pulse, but it loses a lot of the movement. Oops, hang on. But if you throw them back in, and that's pretty much how that came together. And then you have a little kick and snare and, you know, so on and so forth. There's a little cymatics in there. I threw a little cymatics in this one. This little guy here, um, he's so nice. He just kind of, like, makes it kind of, he makes it a little bit funky. I didn't want to go, like, throw in a whole new loop here around this, um, the, around, you know, this this was a quarter, uh, I'm sorry, I guess, like 25% through the drop here. I didn't want to throw in a whole new big in-your-face loop, but just adding this little guy was just enough to kind of make you kind of... Yeah, let me solo just the drums again. He was a nice little touch there. That's amazing. Awesome, awesome. 
And uh, so I, I see you side chain compressed the uh, that drum loop to both the kick and the snare. Was it was it was, yeah. was, was that the only thing you did to get the the kick and the snare fitting with it? Um, do well, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so you see this little these little side. I'm sorry, the EQ cuts right here. Um, the EQ was was for that purpose also for making sure that that sit nicely. And then uh, doing the. Um, the transient shaping that I was talking about with the snare was a big part of, of making sure that those two glued together nicely and this sort of stuck out from that uh, while also feeling glued in. And, um, but as far as the loop itself, I don't think I actually had to do that much doctoring to it. It, it, it ended up, I think I ended up trying to make sure I found the right kick and snare samples that would sort of pitch to, that sort of held similar pitches to the loop itself and timbres so they would kind of complement it nicely. Nice one, nice one. I mean, yeah, that's certainly that side shake impression just makes it, uh, it's just this sort of, sort of thing like a newer producer wouldn't think to do, but it makes the whole thing move up and down with the kick and the snare. It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. The tracks in your in your drums that have the MIDI on it, are they in impulse and not a drum rep? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, as far as those, actually, most of them are not actual audio uh so they're each sidechain triggers so um they are an impulse so this my kick i always do an impulse uh, i see some people throwing them onto the timeline um but i throw my kick into impulse because then i can use it to trigger certain sidechain things um and i can kind of like certain sidechain pattern uh, uh, i'm sorry certain sidechain effects like uh, LFO tool, which I started using a lot around when I started this track, um, you can do this thing where the MIDI will trigger it and MIDI will trigger it to kind of do its thing. And so I have different sort of versions of that. That's what this one and alt one are, which are just sort of, they're just receiving. Um, I just copied the MIDI. I guess I could have um, just had it receive the MIDI in from the kick, but I just copied the MIDI and, um, and just threw them into there so I could, uh, so I could trigger the LFO tool by doing that you know that's so interesting because like so like this concept that you're talking about right now i've i've seen before but i've never seen to be honest this is the first time i've ever seen anyone use impulse and not drum rack i was really, really? yeah same <laughs> interesting i never th you know i tried drum rack a couple times and i just like i i don't think it was that i disliked it i just i just used impulse more and i, I still use it you know oh that's fantastic to be yeah. honest i feel like it's super underrated and never used so go sam <laughs> i like it any other questions uh multiplier um let's have a look so do, do you do your i i see you've got a pre-master bus there so do you master in the project i mean you've got quite a lot going on i'm guess i'm guessing you master separate but um how did you do it yeah i actually do i i do i'll do all my writing mixing everything like that but i just as a as a, as a very uh sort of um, strong rule of thumb, I never, never, never let myself do my own masters because I'm just going to make it worse if I master it. Uh, I, I always like to make sure that there's somebody who hasn't listened to the song for 100 hours uh, to, who can sit in and kind of polish it and hear it on their own speakers and hear it their own. And uh, Michael Stonebank, he, he produces a Stonebank on, uh, on Monster Cat, is my guy who I've been sending my, my masters to for a while now. He's great. He'll, he'll tell me kind of, you know, uh, maybe try pulling this up, maybe try pulling that down. Uh, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll let me do that before he masters it, which is nice. Um, but as far as this, this right here, my pre-master bus, I actually just have set up. So, um, so if I throw any processing, well, uh, it, it allows me sort of the, 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 the capability to sometimes throw an effect on my entire pre-master bus if I want to, rather than having to automate anything on my master. I try to really do as little as possible with my master. This was an EQ for probably just checking things out. And this was also, uh, I think, a utility just for checking, but you can tell they're off. There's nothing on the master or the pre-master besides a little bit of, um, uh, this is made to, I think, just cut the very low rumble. And then this guy here is a mid-side, just to make sure my side's... Uh, don't have much going on at the bottom. And this is what I'm talking about right here. I think, yeah, little EQ pull up right there on the entire. You know, that that was just kind of, um, that's why I have the pre-master so I can throw an effect on there and not have to throw it on my actual master bus. I like it, I like it. And how, so I, I, I see there's quite a lot of tracks here and I think to, to some people it might look quite intimidating just to, physically do I mean, even even if you knew exactly what you were doing there's, there's probably a few hours of, of clicking alone in, in that project so how, how how long would a track like this 
take to put together? Is it 20 hours or 50 hours, 100 hours? or? Uh, probably between 50 to 100. Uh, yeah. This one actually came together really nicely. This one, this one flowed really nicely. It was a nice, simple concept on the drop. Um, and I, I, I had a lot of time at the end to kind of do little tweaks and fills and little kind of like, like, like for example, in, in this second verse, I got a lot of time to sort of mess with these little. Like just those little transitions and the like, little. I think the drums start doing some weird little, little reverses and stuff like that. Like, like most of the re- ending stages of the song, we're doing little things like that. But I think overall, it probably took between uh, right about 70 to 100 hours for this guy, would be my guess. And is that pretty common for each song for you? Yeah, some of them take longer. I, I had a tune I did a while ago called Labyrinth that I think Labyrinth took... It had to be... It had to be t- I don't want to overshoot, but I, I, I want to say it's probably around 200 hours, I think. it took Because I was sitting on it for so long and I would play with it and work on it and this one. But this one had more of a deadline because, uh, you know, Nick was really cool about saying, you know, just take your time and do your thing with it. But I did want to make sure I hit it while, you know, while, while, while we still had momentum and while we were still excited about the idea. But yeah, usually it's something like that. It's usually a pretty, pretty long process. So like with this song, with it being a hundred hours, yep. how long is that spread out? Is that spread out over a month? Is that spread over a couple of weeks? Uh, another great question. I, a lot of times what I try to make sure I do is, um, so I have Tuesdays and Thursdays as blocked off studio days. And so, you know, obviously today's one of those days. And I usually start around nine and I'll go, I take a bunch of breaks, but I'll probably go until usually around eight or nine. I'm trying to, work on being better about not going so long uh, because you get diminishing returns and my hands start to hurt. That's not good. I'm starting to get, weird, you know, those weird like tingling and I got to keep an eye on that. But, um, but so I'll have those two main big hub studio days and then I'll do little sessions just throughout the week, just little kind of mini sessions where uh, uh, on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I'll just go into the morning and spend an hour and try. But it's important, I, I think, to make sure I'm not working on the same song every single day because you get tunnel vision like crazy and you start to hear it too much also and you get all sorts of problems. So two main days a week, sometimes three, but usually two and then little offshoot sessions throughout the week. That's awesome. You got any questions for him, Multiplier? Um, yeah, I, I, I noticed you had the groove pool open. Is that uh, just because it's, I mean, I suppose the question is, do you use the groove pool for, for, this, for this sort of music? Great question. Uh, yeah, I don't think I ever, I don't use it that much actually uh, at all. Um, uh, I think it's open because I don't know how to close it. The little squiggly lines, that'll do it. <laughs> oh, this guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't actually mess with that too much. You know, I, um, a lot of times I'll just kind of feel out how, 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 what I'm working on, how it feels, and I'll sort of uh, slide things around to to adjust. You know. Do you also uh, do you use your your um, little information box in your bottom left corner very much? This guy right here. Never. Should I be? Can I close him? You can close it right there too. That? No, no, no. Go back down to the very bottom where there's that little arrow down there. Yep. I got to do more of these with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, do you have a question on part? I was just going to say, you can also hide, hide the left bit and the bottom bit if you, if you need to see more on, on the screen at any moment. Oh, like this guy right there? Yeah, and, and the, the left one as well. I, I use the shortcuts all the time. Oh, so. oh th- like that? Oh. Yeah. Yep. There's a shortcut, so it's an uh, option... Command B, I believe, right? For the browser, yep. It says Option Command or Alt Command. Or, I suppose it yep. depends from PC or Mac. So Option Command B for the browser, and then Option Command L for the, the bottom bit. That's nice, isn't it? Oh, dude, that's fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've got like my kind of habits, and I and I know my little habits and stuff like that, and I and and I know there's a lot of things. I, I I've watched when I got the invite to do this, and I watched your channel. Uh, I was telling Wyatt this. I, I started flowing through the channel, and I was sitting there, man, there's a lot of stuff here. I don't know. I should probably be looking into because it can make my life easier. And this is, I'd say, this is definitely one. Of, what is it? Option four. Absolutely, dude. That's yeah. awesome. Question, uh, really quick. Um, sure, take your time, man. In the drop, um, you you take a vocal chop from uh, what's 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 the girl's name? Um, I, I don't know how to say it actually. Uh, N e v v e Nevi, maybe. We'll, we'll say it's Nevi. So you take yeah. 
take a, a, a vocal chop from Nevi and you play it like like every like at the end of a like a four bar phrase or a phrase or something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. How did you how did you know what to put there? Because that that is like such a perfect vocal chop. It like just fits the song so perfectly right there. How did you decide that? Um, that's that's. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, um, sometimes what I'll go do what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll just listen through the vocal and try to just cut out little syllables that sound really nice. Um, and, and I'll end up putting syllables that sound good in certain spots. But then as I'm going on, I'll say, ah, you know, maybe I could use a better sound there and I'll, I'll float through and try a different sound. Uh, I'll try a different, you know, chop of her vocal and so on and so forth. And for this specific instance, I'm trying to remember, um, I don't remember how I arrived on, on, on using those, but I do know that it, like for the last one is a crazy one. I know it's this guy. Yeah, that was that was an example of one of the times where where I call them little nuggets of glory. Like I'll find something in a vocal and I'll go like I'll I'll be working on a little isolated section and I'll like repeat something and I'll go, Oh my gosh, that sounds so nice. And and that's from when she's saying this line. Um Oh, there's your, there's your chop from the vocal. That, a lot of times I'll be floating through and that'll happen. I'll just hit play somewhere and I'll go, oh my, it sounds so nice. I just started it from there. It gives you a whole new perspective. And I'll try to figure out where I can put that in the drop or something. And um, for this one, there. And I, I, I found that if I take that and then I throw it up, let's put it on this. Right, and then you eventually maybe form it, shift it, and then throw some some heavy distortion, or sometimes in reverse order. Like it's really cool. You distort it, and then form and shift it, and so on and so forth. Um, that one what created this big, crazy, uh, like sort of shrieking sound, which I thought was so so neat. Which and it ended up being this guy. And I knew I had to put that somewhere, and and so that's what that's where that uh, where that came from. A lot of times, what I'll do is I'll take little sounds and, I'll, and I, that I, that I make from just chopping up the vocal, and I'll throw it into an iTunes playlist uh, that's titled the song. And then uh, when I'm running out of ideas, I'll just click through the playlist and I'll go, Oh, I forgot I made that sound. That sounds sweet. Let me throw that thing in and see if I can put that somewhere. That's a fantastic idea. Thank you for going into that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Oh, what was really neat about the vocals um, when I. Uh, I get, I'll go back to the saws because I know I get a lot of questions about them. There, um, something I'll tell people a lot about saws is a lot of times what makes saws sound so nice is what is not the saws that's sort of accompanying them. And your ear starts to hear them as part of the saws, but you have these things that aren't saws and just kind of fill it out and make you make it sound that much nicer and more epic. And uh, and for in this case, I was definitely going through a phase where I was like, yeah, the saws in this drop are kind of, they sound, you can, I, my brush strokes weren't hidden, you know, it kind of felt like they were saws. It didn't feel like it was just an epic song you were hearing. And, um, and so I took the vocal here, these little chops, and I ended up taking them and, and bounced out separately these crazy reverb tails of them. And so when you put them together, they sound different from one another. It doesn't just sound kind of like amateur, like you have a chop and then reverb coming after it. It sounds kind of nice. On it. And I find that was a really cool, cool way to sort of um, uh, use the chops creatively to make it sound that much cooler. I like that. That's a really good idea. Way to go, man. Really good. Hi, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it's all about doing little things like that, throwing little kind of like, I don't And letting that kind of float through, you know, letting little things, but also it's important to know where to chop them. You know, you got you to gotta cut them in the right spots and you got to let them ring in other spots. I'm trying to see, I think there were some other examples of things. Uh, another thing that, 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 I, that oh, I'm still working on is when you start layering more things in the drop, it's so easy for your song to just get louder and louder and louder. And then your drop's over and your song has gained two decibels, three decibels. And you go back and you create a loop of your whole drop. And when the drop starts again, you're like, oh man, this is quiet. So you got to be careful about knowing when to sort of, like you'll see there's certain layers here like this guy here 
And like that sounded nice uh, during the drop, but then when that lead came in, I had to cut him out and create some space. Another thing that was kind of neat, a little thing, was it was, it was kind of funny how it worked out. You guys know a, a damage percussion? Uh, uh, it, you know, it's one of the okay. contact yeah. libraries. Yeah, it's amazing. Really? Damage is great. Right, right? Um, it's another one that you got to hide your brush strokes with, though, because sometimes it can just be like, oh, there's a damage loop. But um, <laughs> the top of what, what sounds like the top of the mid bases in this song, part of it is actually ripped from damage because I think it was like two years ago, I was playing with damage and um, you know, you have the, the certain kits that are like the full kits, the full loops. And then you have certain ones that I think they're called elements and they're just like, you know, you press one and it's just like maybe the symbols from one or maybe the percussion from one and it sort of dissects it. And one of them at the very end had this weird distorted tail. I was like, Pff! and it sounded nice and kind of distorted and grainy. And, and I was like, man, that kind of sounds like the top of a, of a mid bass, but there's no pitch to it. And it just sounds like, Pff! Uh, and, 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 and I know I did this on, at least on the song Evaporate, I did this too, where I, I took that damaged loop, that little top, and I just, you know, looped it and, and, and created this little texture. And you can hear it here. I'll solo it. Um, it, it goes with the drop. You notice a, a timbrely shifted, shift, shift, shifted it a little bit for each chord, just to kind of make it feel like the chords are moving and make it more interesting. But you can hear it with the track. If I make it way loud, it sticks out. But it's a nice little kind of bit of dirt that kind of, without getting, because if you start distorting your mid basses and everything too much, they'll start to eat up all this headroom. And that was a nice way to kind of have a little something moving on top that sounded dirty. It's a little psychoacoustic trick. It almost kind of tricks your ear into thinking it's part of the basses. I like it, I like it. And I also see you've uh, panned that very slightly to the left. Um, yeah. is, is, is that part of a... Like a, a consistent approach to stereo imaging, or do, or do you tend to just sort of improvise uh, depending on the track? It's not consistent in the effect that every sound always goes in a certain place, but um, to the to the extent that um, there are certain sounds I always keep center. You know, obviously kick, sub bass, vocal, things like that. Um, but other things I'll take and just kind of a little bit off to the side. It's like once you get used to it at first, it sounds weird when you're working on it. It doesn't sound weird to the listener if you're doing it right, but as the producer, you start to overthink it. You're like, yeah, well, that sounds a little weird. It's kind of off to the side. But when you get used to it and you start learning how to take complementary sounds to put another one here while another one's here and another one's here, uh, you can really start to create this nice stereo field where it kind of, it's so nice because instead of having like sound right here that you want to focus on and then everything moves out sort of, um, uh, 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 what's the word, symmetrically from there, or relatively symmetrically, you can have a sound here and then have something that kind of goes like this to there and like that to there. And almost like if you watch an awesome movie, the shots aren't usually the focus is just sitting right in the center. You know, you'll have a shot where there's a guy right here and there's a nice background. Like it's kind of asymmetrical, but it's filled out nicely. And I try to make sure I do that with my sounds too. That's a really interesting concept i never thought about it like that yeah you don't always have to be right here in the center you know what i mean and you really don't yeah and 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 it takes a degree of trust and a degree of knowing what you're doing and experience with it to to, to execute it properly without making your song make your listeners start to feel like they need to start pulling you know, tw uh, you know tilting their head but if you start to do it right and do it enough it gets really neat and you can start to have some fun saying okay I, here's my lead here sometimes it's really cool sometimes you can almost take a lead i'm hesitant with vocals but you can almost take a lead that you're focusing on and even shift it a little bit to the side it just makes it that much more interesting to the ear you know whether it's from a workflow or a sound design perspective or, or pretty, pretty much anything, is there anything in this track you did that breaks all like normal rules? Um, like, well, I suppose, is, is there anything in here that people would say is kind of technically wrong, even though it, it worked in the context of this track? Dude, that's an awesome question. Um, I'm sure there is. Let me think. Um, oh, um, Oh, there's got to be. I feel like if I don't say anything, I'm going to get done with this interview and be like, oh, you know, I did that, I did that and that's... Um, what, do you, what, what do you guys think as far as... As far as where... So say, say we're talking your, your, your master is up to you know, hitting zero, right? So say you're at, in your final stages of the song and, 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 and so on and so forth. Where do you guys think your kick and snare should be peaking? Does that make sense? Like how far up should they be going? Where do you guys think? So 
I suppose the, the the confusing thing is so like I suppose the s- simple idea for those who haven't seen it before is that in general the kick hits approximately zero, um, right. like a- approximately a- a- at least in most normal electronic dance music genres. The, re- the reason why it's never quite as simple as that is it's not just the kick; it's the kick plus everything else. So de- depending on how much side chain compression you're doing on your basses and your leads and everything, there's a chance maybe your kick's only at minus two, minus three, or it could be minus one. It, it could actually be like fractionally below zero um but it, I, I suppose the way I, I like to look at it is the kick plus everything else should be hitting the or i suppose either the ceiling of the, of the limiter or however you've got it set up so let, let's say zero um but it can be fractionally lower just because i mean i suppose when, when, when we look at sidechain compressing the bass we kind of imagine the bass is completely moved out the way but in reality there's right. there's normally quite quite a lot of stuff uh, happening at the same time so that's yeah that's that's so you're saying in other words you're saying the actual moment that the kick hits, the total sound should uh, should equal about zero. Um, th- you know, th- this one, uh, I was going into it thinking that because I just started getting ready for my live, for, for starting to take the Trivecta thing live. And, um, and I noticed when I was putting some of my songs in sets, I didn't always do that. I kind of just went by ear. I kind of just, you know, pulled the kick and snares to different spots where it felt right, uh, made sure they were even with each other, but weren't as, but then I would mix my songs uh, against other dubstep songs and stuff like that. They sound quiet. Uh, and for this one, I went and I was like, okay, I need to make sure that kick and snare are going all the way up. Um, but I like what you said about making sure that, you know, not necessarily, it's just them with whatever's on top uh for this one i definitely broke that for this one i definitely was like all right you know what when my kick and snare are hitting so loud um it's making my other instruments sound weak comparatively like because this is a melodic song it is percussion heavy in the drop but it's kind of um melodic uh, it's kind of you know chord heavy and, and lead heavy and and, and so uh, i definitely tried to make sure that the the, the melodies and leads didn't sound sort of weak and so i definitely made sure that my kick and snare weren't going all the way up on this one and and the end result is it ended up working that's not a really good i don't really break a rule uh, I, so I suppose yeah that that would be the closest to a a, a rule as such um yeah yeah it's a it's, it's it's interesting i suppose um yeah the the, the only reason i suppose the, apart from the fact that Everyone tends to do it, so it, it tends to be what we're used to. Um, having, having your kick kit first tends to make mastering fractionally easier, but it doesn't necessarily make it impossible, um, if, if you know what I mean. If you have, say, the things after the kit drum peaking higher, it means sometimes it's one thing triggering the limiter, sometimes it's another, so it can make mastering yeah. more, more difficult. But, I mean, to be honest, if you're using a good uh, limiter like, like the Ozone one or any of the other really good ones, it's not as bad as it used to be, um, to, to be honest. That's a good point about it. And that's something, actually, that's something I had to think about a lot when I was making this song, especially with those saw pulses was, okay, I need to be careful that I know what's triggering the limiter when this song is going to get mastered. What is, you know, which, which, which instrument is actually going to be, um, uh, 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 triggering, you know, the kick and the snare, obviously. Um, what I did do with this song was I, I, it, it is actually ultimately marginally quieter. The final pre-master that I, that, that I sent out uh, is marginally quieter than, then I'd had it. Uh, a lot of times we're trying to go as loud as we can make it sound and still make it sound good. But uh, my mix just sounded a little nicer when some of those instruments weren't as obnoxiously in your face. And, uh, and, it's, and it still works live. You know, uh, I was watching Millennium drop it, it, it for a couple shows in Tampa a couple weeks ago, and it sounds great. It sounds totally, you know, fills out for that reason. So, so I'm happy about that. Um, so that maybe breaks the rule of, in EDM, make it as loud as you can get it on the drop. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think it really, I don't think it broke anything too crazy on this one. I don't think so. It was super cool how you asked us that, how you asked us our opinion on that, which brings me to this next concept. Do you have any questions for us about your track? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, um, okay. First of all, uh, honest answer, because I, I'm a guitar teacher. I'm, I'm, I know how to give criticism, so I know how to take criticism. Uh, what do you guys think I could have done better? Do you have anything where you're like, hey, he could have probably done that a little better because I try to take all these things into account as I move forward. The only thing that I would say, because yeah. I love the entire thing, the entire okay. thing, the only thing that I would say is um, I've started to notice, and I really, really like this, where this, the concept of the superstar, the superstar is here to stay, but I've yeah. seen people uh, 
kind of drifting off and doing different things, which you showed us, you showed us some of the cool things that you're doing and everything. Yep. At the end of the day, the super saw still sounds a little bit over here, even though like, even now that you broke down, I was like, wow, there's actually a lot into it. That was really innovative. I still feel like the tone of it was still uh, just, just slightly, just, just enough to notice that it was still like the common super saw, you know what I mean? So uh-huh. I focus on that to get the really like unique trivecta super saw, you know what I mean? So like, for example, I mean, it's really cool. There's a linear track because when I think about someone who has done something really, really cool, and this was actually like three years ago, have you ever heard the song he did with Trevor with said the sky? Um, gosh, dang it. What's it called? Uh, drop our hearts part two. Oh, that's so weird. Um, I actually looked that up. I saw somebody talking about it. I looked it up for the first time in my life, like five hours ago. Um, but I think I only listened to part one. It was heavier, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I only listened to part one. That's so weird to bring that up. But, but go on. Yeah, so um, in part two, they, they, they use a super sign in conjunction with like some growls and stuff. Okay. The, go, go listen to the tone of it because it's definitely a super saw. Right. But- has a certain tone to it that's just different from like the traditional super saw you know what i mean is it kind of like what he's what he's using now because he's a pretty distinct super saw sound yeah and i would say it was, it was even different back then and, and as cool as like the super saws that he is that he's using now they're super cool they really are i would say that the one back then was even i like that one even better that's just a- i'll check that out cool cool, cool. but other than that like stripping that away like completely um putting that to the side, your super saws are amazing. I don't want you to think that they're not. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. But, but thank you for that. That's, that's definitely something really cool to take into account to make sure that, especially because so many people are doing saws to make sure that saws are unique sounding. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's the only, the only thing I have to say about that. What about cool. you? Yeah. So the, the only thing I really noticed, which definitely isn't a deal breaker, um, but it's just one of the really nerdy technical details that been a yes, sort, of, sort, of, sort yeah. of software nerd I did notice. So on your pre, pre-master, you've got that filter sweep, um, yep. which is an EQ8, yep, so an EQ8. Yep. So strictly speaking, uh, to get the highest quality possible, uh, you'd want to use an auto filter instead of the EQ8. Um, now, now, as I say, strictly speaking, it's better quality, but in reality, it's not going to make a big difference, but it's the sort of thing, if you did it like a thousand times, you probably would hear the difference. Was uh, uh, sort of you know, I've always wondered about that. Can you, can you tell me why? I, I always thought auto, I always wondered what the difference was besides auto filter just being kind of one curve. What, what's the, uh, what's the, what's the upside? So it's to do with the, it's, it's, it's the, the maths algorithms behind how they do the filtering. Um, the EQ8 algorithms are designed to sound best state, uh, stationary, whereas the auto filter algorithms are designed to sound best moving, but they won't sound as good stationary. And in fact, the, the, the best way to hear this for yourself, because you can't hear it too easily with a normal, uh, normal slope because it's so subtle, but if you change it to a, a four times steepness, so you're almost doing like four at once. And then if you move yeah. it really, really fast, you'll start to hear some like crackly sounds. Which you which you don't hear with auto filter. So, so by kind of so by kind of pushing it to the extreme with that four times steepness and kind of again doing it fast instead of slow, that's when you can kind of prove to yourself almost that the the algorithms are very very slightly different. Now, Wyatt here sold me on Fab Filter the other day. I, everybody's been telling me about Fab Filter, and I've never actually I I have the pro, the multi band compressor, but I, I've never actually uh, gotten the, the Pro Q. Uh, is that the same kind of deal where I would still want to use the auto filter when I get the Fab Filter? Um, it's a good question. I, I mean, I, I, as you have, I've heard amazing things about FabFilter, but I haven't personally used it. Um, I know stationary FabFilter definitely sounds as, as good as anything. Um, I, I, I imagine it sounds good moving it around, but I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, but yes, BBS. So certainly, if you kept every, everything with Ableton, um, EQ8 sounds best stationary, whereas the auto filter uh, is, is best moved. Dude, I, I'm, I'm actually working on a song today. Uh, I, it, it's it's a cool remix. I can't say what it is right now, but um, but I was working on it today, and I'm gonna be working on it after this. And I have I have that kind of thing in there, dude. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna I'm gonna use a, a, a the the auto filter instead. My my other question for you guys, because because you did open it up for me to ask you a question. I have one. It's not related to this song, but just in general. Um, about putting a, the one thing that I still struggle with is sub basses in electronic or in melodic music. I don't have a problem with it on just single sort of one note or a couple note drops, but on in music where the the, the pitch, the sub bass covers so much distance uh, and then you'll go from one note and it all all sounds nice, but then you go down here and I don't want to do automating, automating, you know, the, 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 where I'm cutting the lows out of my other synths to follow the sub bass. That sounds kind of weird. Uh, what I've been doing, what I just started doing was 
doing, I've always done a sine wave and I always had another kind of, um, um, I think I had another sort of square wave, a little quieter, but up an octave. But what I started doing just today was I added, instead of that second square wave up an octave, a little quieter, uh, I just added another sine wave. I'm sorry, a, 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 a saw wave at the same octave as the sub bass, which gives you the harmonics above, a couple octaves of harmonics above. Uh, do, you, are you, do you see any better way that I could be doing this with my sub basses and making that work well? My approach is, is really dependent on the situation. Um, so I, I, I tend to work quite visually. So uh, I like to say, I suppose it was the best way of putting it. It's almost like, so when I'm trying to layer up my sub bass with everything else, I'm almost like visualizing the harmonics and, and the notes that are being played. And then I try to kind of almost like, instead of relying on sound design and engineering, I, I try to rely on just choosing the right notes to get everything to almost like work around each other. So w whether or not that's having, say, a sub and then like a, a square, a octave up, so they sit around each other, or completely ignoring the sub and then just having the fundamental of the square at, 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 the, at the sub frequency, um, all, of, all of that varies on the track. Um, BS, BS, so certainly my approach is to, is to work quite visually where I'm literally kind of thinking about, right, how can I piece together all the harmonics and also get mm -hmm. everything else working? Um, cool. Cool. And I guess, I guess if I look at my overall curve and I see a little dip somewhere in that, that's where I can start thinking, okay, that's probably where my sub is topping off and that's where my other thing is and that's where my little something I need to be careful about is too. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, yeah, certainly, I mean, yeah, everything kind of mid-bass and upwards, you can hear quite well with speakers, but it's those sub-frequencies. Um, you can kind of release that, or quite a lot of people can run into problems because you can't always hear it when, say, the sub is phasing very slightly. Because uh, if, if if you don't have really good headphones, you, or, or if you're hearing it in the context of the whole mix, you don't really hear it. But sometimes, if say you do have uh, the sub phasing with the, so so let's say you have a sine wave and a square wave both playing the same note, then depending yeah. on then depending on the synth and how it's all configured, and sometimes some random like plug-in variables and stuff, uh, that sub will be phasing with the square wave. Now, not not necessarily, which is why there's no, no hard and fast rules. But it, yeah, it's uh, I suppose yeah, my 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 approach is to yeah, just try and try and almost like understand what every layer is doing and then think think it through and go how are they working together or are, is there two things doing the same thing and if so maybe should just try and remove one of them okay my last question i promise i'll let you go here my last question then on that is is how do you know how do, because i was wondering that when i started putting this the saw wave at the same octave as this at the design uh, how do you know if it's facing is it pretty obvious the sound of it it's um the, the the best way to learn the sound is to simply get um like a sine wave and then play two different notes on the keyboard like next to each other and then just go all the way yeah. down and then as you go further down you'll hear different amounts of phasing um which normally is heard as like a you might call it like a warbling or like a rumbly sort of sound sure. yeah yeah um so that's the sort of thing to listen out for but the hard part is if it's really subtle it, it can be quite hard to hear um yeah. and, and i think to be honest there's no the really annoying thing about phase is, well, yes, there are synths like Serum that give you, or, or even like Massive, that give you tons of control over phase, so you can just, mm -hmm. you can you can configure it and, and know that the phase will be okay. There are tons and tons of synths where it doesn't tell you what it's doing with the phase, and in the manual, it doesn't tell you what it's doing with the phase. So you, you've almost got to just guess and and, and ho ho hope for the best a little bit, um, which, which, yeah. which, is, which is definitely more annoying. I mean, if, if you're designing it all from scratch using something like Serum, you, you know you're all right, but it's when you have a preset in a, in, a, in a synth that doesn't uh, detail it in the manual, but, but you want to use that preset, that's when it's uh, a, a bit fiddly. And then the also really annoying thing about it is sometimes it will be kind of out of phase in a consistent way the whole way through, so it's quite easy to fix, Whereas, and then other times the phase will change every note. So then yeah. it's almost impossible to fix. Um, uh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no simple solutions if you're using uh, just an, any, anything, but... Um, yeah, so I suppose for me, it's just being aware of it, to be honest, because um, once yeah. once you get used to what that phasey, so yeah, at higher frequencies, you tend to hear it as a phasey, quote unquote, sound, um, almost like a phaser. So if, if you know what a phaser effect is, it's, it's, oh, sure. it's, 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 it's that yeah, sort yeah. of like shimmery movie. Uh, yeah, I suppose like it's a shimmery sort of quality. So in the high frequencies, it's heard like that, but in the lower frequencies, it's heard as either like a wobbly rumbly sound or yeah just like a, a wobbling uh, like a weird oscillation huh yeah exactly that's helpful uh, you can probably guess where i'm what i'm doing after this and yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> so like from my understanding of phase so there's like there's two different 
sounds or two different like uh, examples you can think of. So there's like the warbling thing that he's talking about, which mm-hmm. is really, really easy. You can even just do it on a keyboard. You don't even have to do it with sub bass. You know, like you get down in the lower octaves and you play C and D right next to each other. It's like feels like this weird, you know what I mean, warbling kind of sound. Um, so there's that. And then uh, you can still hear me, right? Yep. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. So there's that. And then the other one is that like, it's still a sound thing, but you can't hear it because it actually phases out like the phase. Right. It's like phase cancellation. Right? Phase cancellation. Exactly. So Isotope has a really cool plugin called Neutron. Neutron measures that. And so Neutron and I, most part, you might know a little bit more about this, but I've seen it happen where it's like you can put Neutron on a track and basically have it relate to another track and that track will be like yes it is phasing out this much so go and change this kind of it's like ridiculous you know what i'm talking about multiplayer i've definitely heard about it it's still like neutrons on my list of plugins that i should know because it's one of the most important ones in the industry but um yeah i've heard literally not not exaggerating 10 or 15 people like highly 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 recommend neutron um yeah i I really really should get a copy (laughs) likewise add that to fab filter exactly Exactly. Yeah. Other than that, that's all I got for you, man. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, tons of tons tons of amazing information. That's a uh, really really good, dude. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Oh, yeah. dude. Oh. That was that was a lot of fun. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Daw. We really hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy the questions that we asked or would you have liked to hear different ones? If you're listening to this on iTunes or any other podcast related app, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, make sure to like, comment, and follow. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Daw.